0: Good morning everyone. If we haven't met, my name Tom Barrett, I'm one of the ministers here at All Saints. A special welcome to you if you're here for the first time or if you're joining us for our special Heart of Jesus series, in person, online, welcome. I want to ask you a question, what gives you joy? There's probably a bunch of things that give you happiness. Who doesn't appreciate a well-placed parking spot? or a day off from work, or a free lunch. Lots of different things can produce happiness in most of us. But when we talk about joy, we're talking about something deeper, aren't we? Something stronger, I think something more personal. If I can work out what gives you joy, I'm discovering what you truly value, who you really are. And today we're going to explore the question of what gives Jesus joy and this is a question worth pondering because the answer will show us what Jesus truly values. It'll show us something of Jesus's personality, his heart and the more we understand the heart of Jesus, the more we can tell if he's worth following. Now, if I recruited a focus group of a bunch of people off the street who'd never really read the Bible, and I asked them a question, what do you think gives Jesus joy? How might they answer? They might say, Jesus feels joy when people are kind, when people are generous to the poor, when people treat others as they would like to be treated themselves, when people don't judge each other. Jesus certainly mentioned all those as... Good things to do. But the thing is, when we open the Bible and read about Jesus's life, we we never seem to come across that scene where Jesus meets a group of people and says, oh, look at that person being so generous and non-judgy and inclusive, it's making me super joyful right now. That just doesn't seem to be the pattern for Jesus. Was Jesus joyless? The Bible does describe him as a man of sorrows despised and rejected, acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus certainly didn't enjoy a life of constant pleasure. He seems to have had no fixed address. His friends didn't really understand what his mission was all about. He became the target of a government conspiracy that ultimately led to him being wrongfully arrested, unjustly convicted and illegally executed. Maybe joy just wasn't really part of the picture for him. At least not in this life. As we do read through the life story of Jesus, we see that he seemed to like gathering people together for a meal, to eat, drink and be merry. So much so that his critics labelled him as a glutton and a drunkard. He'd love to get together with people for a feed and what's notable is that the guests at these meals didn't tend to come from the respectable side of town. The passage we read just earlier was from the book of Luke, chapter 15. This is one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Luke wanted to write down an orderly record of Jesus' life so that his readers could get a sense of what Jesus was all about. And at the beginning of chapter 15, he described a scene for us. Here it is. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now we need to meet the two groups of people who are part of this scene. On the one hand, we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were the Holy Joes. The teachers of the law were the religious professionals the Pharisees were the amateur enthusiasts. When you hear that word Pharisee today, it's always got a negative tone, hasn't it? But back in Jesus' time, these were respected members of society. Think PNC president, soccer coach, president of the Rotary Club, that kind of thing. The Pharisees rightly pointed out that things were not going well for their nation, the people of Israel. They'd been invaded by the Romans for starters. And so the Pharisees wanted to get a spiritual renewal going, to fix things up so that God would again come and bless their nation and give them freedom. Their basic goal was admirable, but their way of pursuing it was deeply flawed. Anyway, that's the first group, the Pharisees, teachers of the law. But on the other hand, we have a second group, the tax collectors and sinners. Now, let's just go ahead and admit that the word sinner... It's a real trigger word these days, isn't it? It's a red rag. Its basic meaning, that word, is someone who doesn't measure up to moral or religious standards. And in our context, it's considered highly offensive, even morally wrong, to say that anyone doesn't measure up to moral or religious standards. Let's just acknowledge that. But then let's notice that back in Jesus' day, this was actually a well-recognized category. And the most notorious sinners in Jesus' time were the tax collectors. Now, if you happen to be a public servant who works for the Australian Taxation Office, <laughs> please don't be offended at this point. This is not about you. Please keep up your good and important work. Back in first century Israel, amongst Jewish people like Jesus, tax collectors were not respectable public servants. They were traitors and scammers. Israel had been conquered by the mighty Roman Empire. They were under occupation. And these tax collectors were people who took money from their fellow Jews to give it to the Roman occupying forces. Like a Ukrainian forcing his countrymen to give him money to be sent to the Kremlin. And it was lucrative because the Romans would turn a blind eye to overcharging. If the Romans required $500 per citizen, the tax collectors could go around demanding $600 per person, pocketing the difference. They were not popular and rightfully so. These people were making financial profit off the misery of their own people. So, we've got our two groups of people on the scene and then along comes Jesus. Jesus was widely admired as a traveling rabbi, an impressive teacher of the scriptures. But Jesus was not known for spending time in conference rooms with the Pharisees, working out how they could collaborate on a program of spiritual renewal. That's not what he did. Instead, he was known for sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and enjoying lavish banquets with them. The religious elite were scandalised by this, you can see why. Jesus is aware of their opinion, he has a few words to say to defend himself. He tells a few stories to explain what he's doing. And it's as he tells these stories that we find out what gives Jesus joy. The first story is Luke 15 verse 3. Jesus tells the Pharisees this parable. Suppose that one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the other ninety-nine on the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. Sidebar: Have you ever carried a sheep? Are they pretty heavy? I think they'd be pretty heavy. This is not a normal thing to carry a sheep. Anyway, when he finds it, he carries it home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. There's a second story, it starts at verse 8. Jesus says, suppose there's a woman who's got s- 10 silver coins and loses one of them. Now we're not talking here about 20 cent pieces, this is, this is serious cash, silver coins. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep her house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Why is Jesus partying with disreputable people? Because as they've heard his message, their lives have been changed. The lost have been found. Jesus makes this point in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now to repent means to turn around, to change the direction of your life, do a U-turn and Jesus went around all the place calling people to repent Because he was the one who could make repentance worthwhile. Think about it. If all your previous failures and indiscretions are going to stick to you forever on your permanent record, then there's no point turning away from them. You might as well just keep on doing it. The damage is done. But Jesus says that he's come to give people a fresh start. In another place he says he has come to seek and to save the lost. He says he's come to give his life as a ransom for many, to set people free. He calls people to turn around and to come and enjoy the forgiveness and the cleansing that he loves to provide. He talks about rejoicing when one sinner repents. He describes it as rejoicing in heaven. That is He's talking about God's joy. But Jesus is God's king, God's son, God in human flesh, and this is his joy also. And that's why he parties. Now in the same sentence, Jesus mentions 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. He's talking with the Pharisees and there is a dark irony in these words. The Pharisees would definitely have seen themselves amongst those 99 who didn't need to turn around. But they were tragically deluded. They were confident in themselves because they'd avoided the external sins of colluding with the Romans or sexual impurity or breaking the rules about special foods and special days. But in avoiding all those external sins, the Pharisees had made themselves all the more guilty of the internal sins, pride, self-reliance. They had obsessed so much about their public image that they neglected God's priorities of justice and mercy and faithfulness. The Pharisees needed to repent just as much as anyone else, but they wouldn't see it. As I mentioned earlier, these days the word sinner is offensive. It's offensive because people assume that anyone who uses that word seriously is using it to push people away, to divide the world into those sinners out there and me and the good people like me. But in fact, one of the most basic Christian beliefs is that the label sinner belongs on each one of us. the most religious, the least religious. The details of our sins vary, but every one of us fails to give God the love he deserves. The real distinction isn't between sinners and righteous people, it's between sinners who will admit it and sinners who are in denial. It's so tragic, isn't it, when someone who needs help won't accept it. You might have a friend or a family member with a health issue that they won't take seriously. You might know someone who's addicted to drink or drugs or gambling or whatever but won't admit it and get help. Denial is tragic. Jesus did teach his followers not to be judgmental. He did teach them to take the log out of their own eye before looking at the speck in someone else's eye and so on. But Jesus' greatest joy doesn't come from abolishing the label of sinner. His greatest joy comes when you and I accept that label upon ourselves and come to him for help. For Jesus, when that happens, it calls for extravagant banquets with gourmet food and the top-shelf wine flowing freely. When people come to him for help, he rejoices. He rejoices when the lost found. And it's the pursuit of that joy that sustains him through everything he went through in his life. Abandonment by his friends, unjust accusations in court, even death by crucifixion. He endured all of that for the joy that lay before him, the joy of seeing the lost found. He endured all kinds of pain and trouble because his deepest longing was to be able to rejoice eternally with sinners who have repented. Will you be a part of that? Will you be part of Jesus' joy? Jesus is called to repent, to turn your life around, that's, that's a big call. We're talking about a decision to step out of the driver's seat of your life and trust Jesus to take the wheel. (coughs) If that's a decision that you haven't yet made, you'll need to think it through, won't you? You'll need to decide to yourself if Jesus is the real deal, whether Jesus can be trusted. If that's you, today can I urge you to take a practical step in this department. Take a real step towards reaching a conclusion on this topic. Don't just go home, think that was a bit interesting, get on with life, forget about the whole Jesus question. Take a step, read a book, ask someone some questions. Here at All Saints, we've got a short course starting soon. It's a course especially for people who are working out what to make of Jesus. It's five short sessions. You get to go over the fundamentals, ask your questions. That'd be a great step to take. You can register your interest today, we'll get in touch to work out the details. But if you're someone who has already put your trust in Jesus, if you're a Christian believer, maybe you've been one for years and years, can I give you this point to take home today? As Christians, we still sin. That's just a reality in this age. Can I highlight this for you? When you come to Jesus in prayer and acknowledge your sin, when you admit to Him your need for His forgiveness and ask for His healing, You are giving him joy. He never gets tired of it. Jesus is never saying, oh, really? Again? How many times do I have to keep on? That's not what he's like. It's his joy to be the saviour. The more and more deeply we realise our need, the more and more we come to him for mercy and cleansing, the more joyful he is. And so if there's a voice in your head going, oh, you've blown it now. Jesus has totally had enough of you. Ignore that lie. The more you drink of his mercy, the more joyful he is. And you know what else? Jesus wants to share his joy with you. Did you notice in both those stories, the the shepherd with the sheep and the woman with the coin, they both call their friends friends and say, come and rejoice with me. And that's what Jesus says to his people. He says something similar in John chapter 15, where he tells his disciples, I've told you all this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. When you've been welcomed to Jesus' table, you get to share in his joy as others who were lost arrive at the feast. What a gift that is. I want to close today with a story told by a writer called Dane Ortland. He invites us to imagine a compassionate doctor who has travelled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted by a contagious disease. The doctor has had his medical equipment flown in, he's correctly diagnosed the problem The antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted people refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being offered. What does the doctor feel? joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. And that is the joy of Jesus.